Greetings, outcasts, freethinkers, narrative questioners, dot connectors, and genuinely open-minded and outright curious inhabitants of whatever realm we exist in at the moment. You are about to embark on another free first-hour episode of The Notes. If you find yourself wanting to dig deeper and have the desire to join the conversation during our monthly Melt meetups, you might want to consider becoming a monthly subscriber. For as little as three lousy Babylon hokey pokey tokens per month, you can have access to full-length, early, and exclusive episodes. Just visit patreon.com slash themeltpodcast or click the link in the episode notes to set the process in motion. It's simple, painless, and very well might make you feel tingly inside. So without further ado, please enjoy the show! This is Hunter Muse. And this is Chris Snipes. And you are listening to The Melt. I would go so far as to say that some of the most important advice that I could give anyone would be to have and cultivate an open mind. That is, if you want to continue to grow and expand and improve your quality of life. At least when one has an open mind, all of these things are a potential outcome. With a closed mind, nothing occurs. Cultivating an open mind shows that one is receptive to new ideas and is an admission that you do not know everything. As I've grown older, I have witnessed many of my friends grow more and more close-minded. People who were once open and curious have since grown rigid and cynical. Fucking fuddy-duddies is what they are and they seem miserable. Once one starts closing doors on possibilities, then life and where it may lead you becomes limited and life will become small and disenchanted. Many mistake this as an observation on life as it is, when in reality it is a perception of life as viewed through the filters that one has voluntarily taken on as a defense mechanism or because they have become lazy and attached to the idea of being perpetually discontent. And this, my friends, is how to construct a labyrinth of dead ends. I can't help but to think that these thought patterns are somehow a derivative of scientific materialism in the sense that it encourages people to be dependent on needing proof of any given concept before deeming it legitimate enough to ponder. 
As you can imagine, this leaves a lot of things off the table and confines what can be pondered to a mere sliver of the vastness of existence. The sliver is where many people eke out their sullen lives, thinking that what they see is what they get. Today's guest, Emily Moyer, is a nutrition consultant, life coach, storyteller, prolific podcaster, dot connector, and mind expander extraordinaire. She joins us today to chat about her origins and much, much more. I start off the conversation by asking Emily what set the stage for the life that she has led up until this point. I mean, I think there's like the obvious answer that, uh, you know, like I can tell you the story of sort of when I started to wake up and, and I'll do that a little bit. And, you know, I had um, I was always a suspicious person, right, since I was little. Um, in that, like, I always felt like, um, my parents were plotting something behind my back and not telling me about it to a certain (laughs) extent. Like there was what you thought was going on. And then there was what was really, what's really going on. And they weren't usually the same. So I would often pretend that I was sleeping, you know, like I would have gone to bed and then I would like sneak back down on the stairs and like, listen to the conversations that were have, they were having. And I think Sometimes I was hearing things the children shouldn't hear, but other times I was just hearing a conversation they were having on the phone with someone and misperceiving because I didn't actually know who they were talking about. So I'm not um, indicting my parents as guilty for lying to me about everything, (laughs) right? (laughs) Um, But I always had that. I was always a little bit suspicious, right? So I think that that potential for conspiratorial thinking or, you know, just questioning everything was always there. Mm-hmm. And then I had a very difficult year in 2005. Mm. Um, but it was diff- like, it was, uh, I had gone back to school. I was already like maybe dusting on, like touching gently, dipping toes into, not even like, with an awareness about it, really conspiratorial thinking mm-hmm. or paranoid thinking, right? Like as some people like to refer to it. Yeah. Um, but I think more as just like a novelty, like, oh, this is funny or this is weird or this mm-hmm. is interesting, but not like searching for what was wrong with the world kind of thing, right? Um, and then in 2005, I had moved back to uh, Los Angeles, um, like in, in early 2005, I think, yeah. Um, from New York, I had my whole life wanted to live in New York. Like most girl, little girls grow up, they like want to get married, have babies. I just want to live in New York. Um, and I went there and it was really mostly a miserable experience. And um, I had, I had been sort of in and out of what I would call like recreational with like maybe periods of time of more than recreational drug use for a lot of my adult life. Um, But when New York really started to not work out for me, um, I think I turned, I I started into the drugs in a different, from a different mindset or a different psychological state than, than some of the other times um, during the last few months I was living there. And then I left there kind of defeated and, and went home to Los Angeles and, um, continued using drugs, uh, and decided I would go back to school for, cause I just like, I didn't really know what else to do. And mm-hmm. I took this class called the sociology of drug use. Um, and I didn't really know what it was going to be about. I thought it was going to be like about the sort of, um, 
what goes on at the social level amongst groups of people that use drugs. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't that there was none of that. Um, But what it really more was, was sort of a history of the way um, drug prohibition had been woven into our politics and our like propaganda and social, like social understanding of what people are like, what, Mm -hmm. um, and it was a, an experimental class. It was just, this was the first time it was ever being taught. And I think it was never taught again. Mm. Uh, and it was definitely, uh, like, it was a really interesting course. Like, I don't, I, I think this is, these kinds of courses have been pretty much rinsed out of academia at this point, other yeah. than maybe in like grad school or at your, your sort of Ivy League or, you know, in club kind of schools where the people are allowed to tickle their brains with that kind of information because, you know, they're part of the, they're part of the op. And so them knowing that isn't dangerous to any kind of power. Um, And so I took this course and uh, a couple of things, the, the whole course was interesting. The whole course was interesting, some more than others, but there was two things that really grabbed my attention in a way that, it's still grabbed. I still do not feel satisfied Mm -hmm. uh, with the answers or that we yet know what these things really mean. And that was, I learned about um, the dark Alliance, right. Which was the uh, newspaper articles, the series written by Gary Webb about uh, Iran Contra and how that connected to the crack cocaine epidemic Mm -hmm. in South Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that I really understood um, problem reaction solution or thesis antithesis synthesis Mm -hmm. and that the government was the creator of our problems uh, at least as much at that point I was thinking at least as much as they are the solver right because I was still a completely mind-controlled libtard at that point but I was suspicious in the way a person of the left Mm -hmm. is suspicious so right so I was willing to believe that the government um, doesn't care about black people or doesn't care about drug addicts or poor people, but right. I didn't yet understand like the level of the the corruption. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of introduced me to that, that portion of it at that time. And I started to be suspicious of government. And I started to think that, um, well, what else is a conspiracy? What else did I think was one thing when it was really another thing back to my childhood? Uh, right. There's what you think is going on and there's what's really going on. Mm-hmm. So there was that topic. And then the other topic that she touched on briefly that grabbed me was MKUltra. And it was the very front-facing, the publicly accepted version of MKUltra that everyone talks about, Mm -hmm. which is basically um, having hookers give John's acid in dope houses in in San Francisco with two-way mirrors and see if they will admit to things or it's like a truth serum kind of thing. And not that there's no truth to that but that is like that's the part that it's okay to talk about that's the part if that if you have anyone who's going to talk about MKUltra on like the Joe Rogan podcast or whatever they'll talk about that part but you know they don't ever get into the more than 200 sub projects the fact that it's ongoing Mm -hmm. the fact that it's been outsourced to corporations and NGOs and in some cases, like religious cults and sects and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So there's the, that part. There's and the that media. Part. The media, of course. And media, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, there's that part. But then there's also the part that even the part that is like so somewhat basically acknowledged, which is that MKUltra 
was developed out of Project Artichoke Mm -hmm. and arguably like the first person who may have been victim of it was Frank Olson, Right. right? If you, almost nobody knows, like they think the controversy is that um, Frank Olson was mind controlled to jump out of a window, right? And mm-hmm. that's true. Like, I think there's, an, I think it's possible he was mind controlled to jump out or he was just pushed. I don't think that's, I think arguing over that distracts from the fact that he had discovered some things about what our government was doing with mm-hmm. chemical and biological warfare mm-hmm. that we are still dealing to right to this day, right now with what we've lived through for the last couple of years yeah. and what we're dealing with right now with Ukraine and all this other stuff that people would not be very happy with. And so it was really important to make it look like he had gone crazy, even if then they were sort of blamed for MK altering him. Nobody ever talks about what it was that he was bothered, he was upset about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um so I had to discover those things on my own. So um at that when I heard the term MK Ultra though, it hit me in a way that like I felt like I knew what that was. And it felt like what they were telling me it was, wasn't, wasn't really what it was, or wasn't the only thing. Like I had that awareness mm-hmm. at that time. So that, that thing went on, this was the fall of 2005. And in between all of that, in October of 2005, my stepbrother died unexpectedly. He was shot in the head at a party. Wow. And, um, you know, it was, I think it, um, it was kind of like maybe electric shock therapy for me or something like that. Right. I think it gave me like a hard reset in terms of like, like it wasn't like I didn't remember things from before I didn't care, but it it basically wiped the slate clean on some level for me to be completely free to accept whatever this new reality I was beginning to understand was Mm -hmm. as like what I cared about now. It was like a delineation point. I don't know what it was like, I can't say that my brother dying made me become a drug addict or anything like that, because that was kind of already in motion mm-hmm. a lot in my life before that. Right. I, right. But like, if you talk to like, if you talk to my father who I don't even know for sure at this point, what my father knows about my reality with drugs, mm-hmm. like he knows I had a year go round with cocaine when I was like 19 or 20, mm-hmm. but I don't know that he's completely clear on the fact that like I used drugs pretty heavily on and off from the time I was 25 till 40 mm-hmm. as well. I've been clean for seven years. I mean, I still enjoy the occasional psychedelic experience and I enjoy fancy cocktails but in terms of the hard self-destructive drugs, right. um, I've been clean for seven years. Um, I don't know what he knows about that. I've not lied to him about that since I, I mean, I used to not tell him the truth when I was doing it, but mm-hmm. he hasn't asked me. Mm-hmm. He recognizes that I'm far different than I was for a period of time. Mm-hmm. But I think it's possible that he thinks I was in some type of depression based on both what happened with my brother, my stepbrother, Mark, and in some, like maybe some unresolved childhood trauma based on my parents' divorce, or I, I don't know what he thinks really, right? Like I, I, I don't, he, he's old and he's not well, and uh, we're at a place now where he feels not worried about me. And so I don't feel like I want to just go banging those doors down. Yeah, and, you know, sure. if he asks me, I'll tell him. Yeah. But I have heard him say to people before that he thought um, that what happened to Mark scared the shit out of me. 
Um, and I don't know if that is right or not. I can't tell because I tell you because I was high when I found out. Mm. And so when you're high, you it's really hard to ever find like the root of whatever that feeling was at that moment. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. But whatever that happened for me in that period of time, the, that that sort of semester where I was having this class and where my brother died, I also I did ended up doing really well in school that semester, fueled by a bunch of meth. <laughs> right. <laughs> I got like straight A's, but like my mind um was definitely something was changing inside. And from that point forward, um, I was heading in this direction. Um, and so that was in 2005. And so, you know, that would be the obvious answer as to how I came to these topics. In retrospect, and the farther I've gone into my explorations, I started to recognize some things about my life that are probably the more likely predictors of why I found myself in the position I found myself in and, and that my brother died or whatever was just like a random factor. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that I had a pretty unusual childhood, um, a pretty unusual mind and a very unusual family and um, place that I grew up and just the, I, I don't know if it was, by design or by coincidence or synchronicity or whatever, the places I found myself, the people I found myself with, the things I either experienced or for some reason thought I experienced, which if I didn't actually experience them and these things happened and I seem to know about it, what on earth does that mean? Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and the further I go into things, I mean, I'm having an ever evolving opinion on not only what's going on in the world, but like who I am, what I am, what, what my experiences mean. Um, but um, it, it, it's, it's this, these certain topics come up over and over and over again. And every time they come up, you know, whether it's on an every few year cycle or whatever, I seem to have developed a new interest or a new skill or a new sort of analytical tool that helps me understand them a bit better than I did the time before when something like that came up. Um, and so I think, you know, this is basically what this has been for me and I didn't necessarily intend for it to be this, but what people have is my media, the interviews I do, the conversations I have, it's really me just asking, like, it, like basically investigating my own life, trying to understand what the fuck's going on here. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Same here. Same with us. So where does your mom fit in the picture? You talked about your dad. Was Mark your mother's husband's son or was it your father's wife's son? It was my father's second wife's youngest son. Okay. And he was an interesting kid on some levels. Um, and the things that were interesting about him, I probably didn't understand at the time were interesting about him. Mm -hmm. um, so he died when he was 21. And, um, you know, I'd known him since he was like nine or 10. My parents got, our parents got together when they were like, when he was probably like nine, maybe eight or nine, 10, maybe at the oldest. Uh -huh. um, but at a certain point and for a period of time, we both really liked electronic music and dancing. And so we right. spent time going to parties together and doing drugs together. 
And he had a very expanded psychedelic mind for someone that young. And I came to learn that he had started doing acid like at like 12. He used to do like wow. acid every day at school. Holy shit. And you, you could see the wandered off look in his eye that that happens when you do that that young. He was yeah. always like, we would be driving and he would duck and I would be like, what's going on? And he would insist that there was like birds that like they were about to hit the windshield that he was like right. reacting to. And right. I wasn't seeing them. Right. And at the time, I thought this is acid brain damage or something yeah, like that, sure. right? Mm -hmm. um, but he also was the first person to talk to me about experiences outside of time, missing mm -hmm. time, seemingly being in two places at once, mm -hmm. like this kind of stuff that sounded crazy to me, even at that place where my my like my mind was like a little bit open to that, right. um, you know, based on having started going to raves and experiencing psychedelics. Sure. Like I did understand that like, this is weird. Like there seems to be a different set of like temporal and spatial rules when you're in this state and, and mm -hmm. whatnot. Um, and once you've been in that state a few times, then you can sort of access those temporal and spatial domains, even when you're not on it. So I was open to that, but some of it was just like, wow, that's a crazy story to me. Um, as I'm further on into my explorations of this realm and our many realities that sort of cross over in it, I don't see it so crazy anymore. Sure. Um, I think that, you know, maybe because he started doing them so young, something opened up in his mind that just wasn't so easy to like close and open and close and open. Yeah. It just kind of stayed a little bit open. Sure. And he was actually like experiencing the same thing, like when the cat is responding to something in the room that it's exactly. very clearly there, right. but we just can't see it. Yes. Right. Right. So, so that, and then I think, you know, he was troubled in a lot of ways and he got into, you know, some bad drugs and hanging with some bad people. And he was a little bit of a smart ass and, you know, it, I don't know that there was ever a reality in which he was going to make it long time. Yeah, yeah. Right. Sure. But I, um, he seemed to have um, some ability to navigate that psychedelic space that I didn't understand or respect back then. Cause I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And he, like me, though we were not growing up together at this time, grew up within an arm's length of military industrial complex space exploration kind of thing. He grew up very close to JPL. In fact, he grew up in a bedroom community for people who worked at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory or Jack Parsons Laboratory, however wow. you like to say it, both work. And I grew up a stone's throw from Bo Boeing and Rocketdyne. Mm -hmm. And both of us spent time in the hills and nature that bump right up against or in some cases spill into those properties, mm -hmm. which I think made us um, ripe for the picking or like you become part of the experiment, whether you know it or not. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and I think that those were some things about him that I couldn't have known when he was alive that I understand now. And I also understand that like the MK ultra process and projects are no joke and every, not everybody survives them. Sure. And a lot of people who do don't even know that they've been part of it. Mm -hmm. right. And a lot of people don't survive them and they don't even know they ever existed. Right. Exactly. This is like an ongoing societal experiment that um, the thing that makes you an experiencer is the awareness that you are one. 
everybody's part of this. There's not like some special group of like, oh, you're special because you were part of MKUltra. This is a society that, you know, this is one of the things that's kept it. And that's the last we ever heard from Emily. Just kidding. The internet went out for some reason. Anyway, here, here's Hunter to keep things going. So one thing, one thing you said that I wanted to touch on was that when when we are in geographic locations that are near nefarious things that are happening, I think mm-hmm. it's the potential could be, especially when we're children, that we are so porous that we're picking up on energy, even if we're not directly involved in that energy. And Correct. so it's possible that you and your brother both were picking up on energy from these dark forces that were involved on the land and in this in this property. So I just wanted to to bring that up because it, you know we are all part of this experiment very clearly. The propaganda machine we are all uh, subjected to that, uh, and I think that there's direct connections and then there's this just this overall um connection that we have um so what do you what do you think about that do you think that you had direct experiences or do you think that you were maybe perceiving things that were going on so interesting that you say this because this is something i spend a lot of time thinking about and i'm gonna say that i think in my case it's some of each Mm. right um Partially, I, I partially because in my, I can't speak for my brother's experience because he and I never talked about that. I just know where he grew up and right. know that it's it's geographically similarly located to the kind of area that I grew up, which might explain some things. Um, but I did go for several years to a summer camp on that land, and there were very unusual things going on at the summer camp and lots of unusual things have gone on on that land throughout the years with a variety of different groups of people. Mm. And the place I'm at now is because you said something interesting and you said nefarious things going on. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was little, like I thought that that was just a place where like, that was just the nature that was near my house. And I just went there to play. And summer camp was mostly great and fun, even though I had a few weird experiences I couldn't make sense of and, and, and whatnot that some of the experiences or memories or thoughts or ideas or feelings, because it could be any one of those things. And children are very good at like grouping a thing that actually happened with a thought or an idea they had at the same time that was happening or mm-hmm. like some somewhere close in time to it. Yeah. And then that becomes the event. So I can't say for certain anything, like I'm not making any like factual claims about very, very specific weird events that happened to me. Um, I am saying I had a collection of unusual experiences in this location and I began talking about them. And it almost seems like the more I talk about them, the more evidence shows up to confirm the story that I'm telling that I said when I was telling it, like I might be making this up, but if I'm making it up, why is there evidence for it? Right. Right. So I don't know. I don't even understand the direction reality works at in this point. Like I think it's entirely possible 
that if a person tells a story in a compelling enough way, reality will like backfill it the way like a picture renders on the screen once it has enough data or something. Mm -hmm. But I am no longer of the opinion that the underlying thing that is going on at these locations is nefarious in nature. I am of the opinion that there is something going on that is part of how this realm, this earth, this simulation, whatever somebody thinks it is. And I think it's maybe all of these things at different layers, mm-hmm. but sure. there's a, this thing that is the scaffolding that all of that is riding on is something that is a creation that exists and that the nefariousness comes with who discovers how it works first and then their intent to let people believe that they were the creators of this, they were the controllers of this. So for me, what I think is in these locations, because why are they building like airplanes and rockets in like underneath mountains and in like far up in the hills where it's hard to get trucks there? Like, why aren't they building them in a warehouse in an industrial part of town? Right. Right. I'm of the opinion that what we're dealing with in these locations are particle accelerators and that we have a pretty wrong understanding of where particle accelerators come from and what they actually do. And um, not that there aren't any modern man-made technological particle accelerators that these companies make, but they're making them because they pre-exist in the earth and they've been trying to understand them forever. The Indians drew them on their cave paintings. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sorry, like, I don't think Rockadine was around 3,000 years ago, but I'm pretty sure there's a Chumash cave painting in Chatsworth that shows what looks to me like a particle accelerator. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so what happens is there's an, a tremendous energy field there that attracts all kinds of things. Sure. Charles Manson. Right. right? Um, Rockadine, um, imaginative little kids like to go crawling around back there in the tunnels and they think they see ghosts or they really see ghosts or alien, whatever, any of these, wherever there's like a, there, in fact, one of the streets that's like closest to sort of where all the action is in Chatsworth that I talk about is literally named Schumann, right? Like it's entirely possible that that's a location where what we think of as the Schumann resonance resonates from. Yeah. Right. right or a location where you can access something that is creating that vibration. Mm-hmm. So once you have like a wide open like an, an energy field that fluctuates in a way that allows access to like hyperdimensional space and reality, mm-hmm. then like you know throw everything else out the window. Like multiple things can happen there, and I'm the place now where it's like, you know, is it is it like geocache information there? Right? Is there? Can you access? like a bunch of different like timelines or dimensions there. And so when I'm there, like nothing is really happening to me in this world, to my, this physical body, but like I'm sensing, feeling, seeing, thinking, hearing, or in some way, some simulated way experiencing, just like when you go into, you know, like a IMAX movie theater, or if you put on a VR headset, right. Right. Am I experiencing some other thing that is happening at a different vibrational level in that space and kids, kids could be, are are much more wide open to that. Um, And people who are just sensitive in nature, 
Maybe it has to do um, with people who have certain skills or talents or certain genetics or whatever. And the way they experience it might be different than the way right. you could go there with me. And I could say that I see this, that, the other thing. And you can be like, well, this place is weird to me too, but I see this. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that one of us is right or wrong. Yeah, and if you sure. spend enough time in a location, you could have a variety of strange experiences that are all essentially caused by the same thing. Right Now, I think that it does the power system a tremendous amount of benefit to have everybody thinking that they have these technologies that they created, that they control, mm -hmm. that are they're doing whatever they're doing with, whether it be inflicting things on us or exploring other things. And I think like what it really is, is that they just, they know more about them than we do. They have figured out how to piggyback other technologies on top of them, right? If you know that you, you can't control when the particle accelerator starts up, like why do they turn CERN on and off? They have no control over that. They have just figured out when it's going to turn on. Mm -hmm. And then they say, we're about to crank it back up, Yeah. Right. blah, 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 right? Right. So they have figured out its cycles and they know when we have this frequency going on, that's a good time to do these things. Right. And they know more about that than, than we do. And so for, for most people, like if they say they created it, then we're going to believe them because we mm -hmm. don't know anything about it. Exactly. And they have benefited in a million ways from secrets, like keeping that information secret. And I think that that is what a large part of secret societies are actually keeping secret is how do you how this world works in relationship to frequency and vibration generated by that which creates nature and that are these particle accelerators and i thank my friends at uh, angelic particle matrix research for 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 helping me to understand what particle accelerators can really do so <laughs> yeah i would love to have them on the show definitely if you could uh point me in that direction. That would be fantastic. That All of that made me think of Dark. I don't know if that came up for you, but there's a uh, series on Netflix called Dark. It's a German series. Mm -hmm. Yes. Are you familiar with it? We did start to watch a little bit of it. It's challenging because of I have a hard time staying awake as it is watching stuff. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I sit down and watch something and I'm gone and, uh -huh. you know, but uh, I, th I, I grokked the overall idea that was behind it. And I've certainly mm -hmm. looked at a lot of the graphics, which sometimes I can just like, have you heard about people who can like touch their hand on a book and then they don't yeah. have to read it? I, right. I can kind of look at something, get a snapshot and get a good overall yeah. feeling of like what's going on there. And yes. Yes. So yeah. children involved. Uh, there's a nuclear power plant happening in this town. There's a tunnel that uh, the kids uh inadvertently discovered but it was a time travel there was a place to time travel and they went mm -hmm. what 33 years in the future or they could jump in intervals set intervals uh they didn't get to control the interval but i think maybe later on in the second or third season they did learn how to master yeah, that but 33 years mm -hmm. in the in in uh, the past as well in the past as well yeah oh and it's just amazing it just gets more multi-layered and multi-faceted but again yeah this this hub where these well in this case it's a nuclear power plant and the children and their curiosity all sort of coalesce in this place and all of this intense shit happens and then of course a, a murderer enters the story and sets a bunch of things uh, uh, so, uh sort of a like a domino effect in different time 
many different time sequences and it's just amazing. It's a fantastic series. But so you, you, you I've heard you mention Chatsworth before, like there's some, is this where the, the place was what you were talking about? Yeah. So I grew up in Chatsworth, um, which is a very unusual suburb of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you just described is exactly right. So I think that this is not unique to Chatsworth, although I think because of Chatsworth's proximity to Hollywood, it is probably um, uh, the one that generates like the largest number of stories without people, without it being identified too often as like, everybody knows like Three Mile Island and some of these other Mm -hmm. like famous military bases where there's a lot of UFO sightings and things like this. Right. Um, But I think Chatsworth is like, probably one of the big secrets that is just now beginning to be discovered. I'm starting to hear people who have much wider reach than I do discuss Chatsworth, John Levi, Robert Seffer. Um, I don't know if they have any awareness of the things that I've said about Chatsworth, um, but it's not just me. Mm. Andrew Bashago, who thinks he went to Mars, grew up in the same neighborhood as I did. Mm. Ian Rand used to live in Chatsworth. The actor Val Kilmer, who has now had his voice taken from him, mm-hmm. grew up spending time in this his voice was taken from him and for a good and not not for a good reason, like I think it should have happened. But he has a lot to say that I think people have been missing for the entirety of his career. Mm-hmm. And I think he got to the point where he um, probably had found an effective way to say it. And they took his voice from him. That is my opinion. I don't know that sure. for a fact. But yeah. when I look at this person and I understand the reality of where he comes from and what's mm-hmm. going on, yeah. um, Andrew Bachago thinks he's been to Mars. I don't know if you guys know who he is. No. I had, I did a four hour show with him years. He, he basically has, I'm just going to give like a small snippet of what his thing is. He basically says he's been both part of a space travel as well as a time travel program. Mm. Right. And that some of his stories involve going to Mars and other stories involve like time travel presidential selection involving like Barack Obama. And some of the stuff almost sounds crazy, except for, there is this weird thing that occurs in this level of mind control where there is this proximity to people that are famous. And, and and it's, I don't, I don't completely understand it yet, but Mm -hmm. it's definitely all over my reality. Um, And so many, I, I did a show with him. He's been interviewed by tons of people. Right. And he's one of those people that's very easy to ridicule. Mm. Right. But he's not lying. I think he's just misunderstanding what happened to him. Sure. So I see the experiences of my childhood being what we're talking about here. Yeah. Maybe I'm particular, uniquely open and sensitive and grok more from these locations than other people do. Or maybe I was part of a mind control program that went on in that location with kids who went to the summer camp. And I have some other, right. I was in Hollywood. I was also a high level gymnast. And these are all areas that are being mined for, for that kind of stuff. And so I had a weird comment, just also some weird family stuff that we can get into if you want. Um, but many of the experiences are the same. In fact, he named locations that were also locations where I had weird things happen mm-hmm. that he like he would have no way of knowing that unless it happened to him as well. Like there's this right. one mysterious roller skating rink that we're both still looking for in Chatsworth. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Um, 
but he thinks he's really been to space. And I think like I was in a sensory deprivation tank with lots of lights and sounds and mm-hmm. whatever. And my mind was doing visuals like you do when you're on mushrooms right. and it looks like space. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. Like, I don't think I've been to Mars. Like, I'm not even convinced yet that Mars actually exists yeah, as sure. anything sure. other than like an energy, an idea and sort of like an archetype. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. Uh, so I think but he's a little older than me. Right. Like we, you have a different understanding. He's like 10 or 15 years older than me. Mm-hmm. And his like touch with ha- what has to be real in order for his life to make sense is like different than the things that I require in order to not lose my mind. Yes. Right. Exactly. Um, and I've learned from him. I've learned from listening to other people's stuff and like been able to analyze it and go, okay, this is, this makes sense. This makes sense. This makes sense. This is where it starts to break down. Like what else could be going on? And I'm not so attached to uh, any particular interpretation of my memories or feelings or experiences that mm-hmm. I'm unwilling to explore others. Mm-hmm. Right. And just some people just are, they're just not as as sort of like, don't have that level of emotional or psychological or memorial dexterity. Yes. Right. Right. So, and it's not like a, that doesn't make them bad or wrong. I think he gave a lot of information that looked at from the other side of the room confirms things. Mm -hmm. Well, I, when, when you were speaking um, earlier, I was thinking the first thing that came to my mind was the Getty museum. Mm -hmm. And then I started to think about the tunnels that go from Los Angeles to the ocean. And then I was thinking of Disneyland and how there are these networks, these underground networks Mm -hmm. that are involved in and around Los Angeles and how these networks have been used for, for once again, nefarious purposes uh, and could be very easily used to traffic children, to traffic people, to conduct all different types of experiments. So you could start in one place, you could start in Hollywood and end up in Santa Monica or end up in San Pedro. Um, I know the Chatsworth area quite well. I worked in Calabasas. I spent a lot of time in Malibu. Uh, so I know that area and it is very highly charged energetically. Mm-hmm. And there, there definitely is um, lots of opportunities in um, the Santa Monica mountains and yeah. in that entire surrounding yeah. area to do lots of different things. I had the book, the the weird California book that talked about the blue children that came out of the Santa Monica mountains. So there, I, I think that there are definitely things that corroborate what you're saying. It's a matter of, um, being so clear about it and being able to communicate it that I think separates people because it does sound nuts to the average person if they've never been to California or they don't know that area or they don't know the geography of Topanga Canyon, for example. Mm -hmm. I know that uh, with Manson, um, many of the children, and this is one of these things that a lot of people don't talk about, but many of the children that were in the Manson family were adopted out into families in that area. So, you know, you're taking children who were experimented on and then kind of setting them out into the world. In the and, wild. you know, who knows what happened 
with these kids and who was really following up in the foster care system or in the adoption system, which again, these are, are shady organizations that are involved in all types of child trafficking. Mm -hmm. So I think you're bringing some really, really salient points to the, to the conversation. And I think it's really important that we are able to kind of drill into what you're saying, because I don't want to get lost in, you know, the, the, um, it's easy to get kind of caught up in the the national uh, inquirer versions of these stories, and your yeah. story is so personal. And I think it's really important to see kind of where you've come from and where where you've arrived with this stuff. So, in your estimation, what you're talking about is something that's a very physical experience that you feel like you were in some type of a deprivation tank. Another uh, that that's another, um, uh, thing that's being used in, um, travel and in mind control. And it, how do you think that happened? Do you think that happened through the camp experience or do you think it happened, um, outside of the context of that? So this is a good question. And this is something that like, I don't, I, I can't tell you with a hundred percent certainty for mm -hmm. sure, because kids again, have this funny relationship. Right. So sure. one of the things that like, so my friend, Jeff Gates, who I do a lot of show like behind the paywall kind of shows with, right. Mm -hmm. Just basically like raw Intel dumps. And he's a good friend of mine. And, and we go on a lot of adventures together. Um, but I took him up to Chatsworth. He's been to Chatsworth with me a couple of times. But the mm -hmm. first time we went up to Chatsworth, we went right up to the entrance to um, Boeing, Rockadyne, the Borough Flats area. Mm -hmm. And we did, he does some sort of metaphysical practices. And we did, and I do a fair amount of remote viewing. And we did a session that was like balls nuts in terms of like what I saw under there, what was going on. And um, within 48 hours of that session, the Woolsey fires started. Remember the Woolsey fires yep. went from Chatsworth to Calabasas, to mm -hmm. Thousand Oaks, to Malibu, yep. all yep. along this network of tunnels that you're talking about. Yeah. Right. And, um, and so I, there seems to be some connection between my energy field and the energy field of that location, right. Where, mm -hmm. um, a resonance, right. Yep. And when I go to that location, it's weird, dude. I don't feel like a person. I feel like a wolf or an animal, mm. right? Like I feel like, like my sense of smell and like geo echolocation and sounds and stuff mm -hmm. is interesting. And I have like weird sets of thoughts that come and they're not necessarily evil or bad or anything like that. Mm -hmm. They're just heightened in a different way than what you normally think of as like humans experience of like heightened feelings or whatever. Right. Right. Um, but we also went to the other side of the the park, which is like where like the the camp actually was. Like we we would go off into the hills, but like where we I would get dropped off in the morning, right? Uh, was like an area that is now like some other little school, mm -hmm. and it was fascinating because I hadn't been back there in so long, and it looked so small. It was like it seemed so <laughs> big to me when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that we noticed that was right there was there was like a little train. It wasn't the regular train that goes through that area. Right. There's a train that like now the Metrolink rides on. Yeah. But there was like a little train, like the kind of trains you see like 
when you go to like Griffith Park Observatory or here yeah. in Austin, there's like the Eagle Train at the yeah. Zilker Park. It was small, but it seemed to lead from the camp towards the area that I am saying, which is if you were to just like straight line, you can't go that by roads. It's going to be more like probably a mile and a half to two miles from the camp entrance to the entrance to Boeing or Rockadyne. Right. My guess would be if you took this little train sort of back there, right, that it would be um, probably like a mile or a mile and a half, like a more straight shot. But if you think about it, like a little kid can, can confuse a train with training. So if I thought that I had been taken away from the camp to go for some special training, my parents would probably think that, oh, she just thinks that because there's a little train. Like right. these are like the kind, right? Like there's this sort of, I find this everywhere. Mm -hmm. But I definitely have memories of being removed from the rest of the group when I was at summer camp. Mm. I also have memories of being removed from the group at gymnastics, removed from the group at school, removed from the group um, when I was doing acting stuff and whatnot. Now, mm. the acting one, that's just the more the way that works. I've done enough of yeah. Hollywood stuff to understand, like you have your call time and you're separate from the other people and whatever. So I right. can't, I can say less about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there was a lot of like, oh, we need to come over here and take this text test or talk to this person or whatever with gymnastics in school. Mm -hmm. But at the camp, I recall there being a couple of different swimming pools on the campus, like a very big, like Olympic size one that had a three meter diving board and a one meter diving board mm -hmm. kind of thing, or at least a one meter. I might be confusing it with another location, something else. But I also recall that there was a house on the property that had a smaller pool. And I liked that pool because that diving board was more like a backyard diving board, but it was like the bounciest diving board I'd ever been on. Mm. And I was a gymnast and I liked to do tricks, but I was also incredibly small and I couldn't bend the bigger diving boards. Like I couldn't get as good of a bounce. Right. So it wasn't challenging to, to talk me into going to the little house with the pool with the diving board because I wanted to go there and do flips. Mm. But why am I going by myself? Or sometimes I remember with one or two other kids to the smaller pool and there's memories for me, some of them weird and I, I don't know what to make of them, but a lot of memories about spending a lot of time underwater, mm. right? Like uh, when, to this day, when I get in the water, I feel a desire to sit on the bottom of the pool and, and like try to breathe. Mm. Right. But I can also stand under the water for an incredible amount of time. And I recall games and exercises that were like, the person, the counselor or whoever I was with over there, mm -hmm. throwing an entire handful of coins onto the bottom of the pool and telling me I had to go down and collect them without coming up in the date order. So I had to find like 1964, 65, 66, that wow. I had to get them all in order kind of thing before I came up, like weird things like this. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and almost um, just like I was taken away for some separate kind of, of training. And a lot of it seemed to involve, um, water. Hmm. Right. And also there being activities on the camp. Like I remember going to a sleepover at the camp one time where we were doing rituals to try to bring the Indians out of the mountains. Right now. Sure. Like someone can dress up as an Indian and come out. Mm -hmm. Right. But let's just say that like one of the things that this location does is it like blends all timelines Right. And if they make the camp, the sleepover, 
on a night where there's a certain kind of astrology going on as the Burrow Flats cave paintings indicate that mm-hmm. when, on the night of the eclipse or something like that, you can see something in the cave painting that you can't normally see. Like what if timelines compress and things can sort of cross over and you have a certain amount of flexibility in time that you can kind of experience like native Chumash Indians where they can come into our modern time and look at us crazy kids, whatever, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Um, but when I go looking into like, there's lots of people who are into conspiracy who explore space that have different ideas about space. It's real. It's not real. There is a space program. There's not, there's a secret space program. It's close. It's far. Have any of them heard of Chatsworth as being important in space? But if you go digging into these Borough Flats documents, you find people high up in quote unquote astrophysics and astronomy who are saying things like this might be the most significant place on Earth in terms of our relationship with space. Right. So it could be that going to space doesn't mean going off world. It could be going in world going in world or going to hyperspace. Right. I think that there's a, a, I think that there's some people who have makeups, bodies that can withstand a tremendous amount of um, a tremendous range of frequencies and other people less. So their body might break down. They may have health issues, Mm -hmm. like shit won't function. Right. And then there's other people that just have like, some like it's like people who can eat anything or people who can like stay up for days in a row and still be functional or whatever. Right. And I happen to have all of those characteristics too. Right. I think I just have like a very high tolerance for like extremities mm-hmm. for extreme kind of stuff. And so I think that like uh, when you have a summer camp, when you have hundreds of kids and there's during, you know, there's a school there during the school year as well, kind of thing. And there's a park there. So let's just say that like there's a low level of observation going on, or maybe a high level, right? And you see that like there's certain kids that are attracted to this area that everybody else runs away from because mm. it's like a creepy feeling or they can stand right near when the train goes by and it doesn't seem to bother them. Mm-hmm. Like there's a like it's just like a kid who can do more push-ups or more pull-ups or run faster or whatever, like this kid has potential to be able to tolerate whatever that experiment or that experience is going to be mm-hmm. without right. it, with them staying sort of coherent. Right. Um, so I think there's some of that going on. And then, you know, the gymnastics thing for me, like it's hard. <laughs> there's so many things going on. Like, I don't know necessarily like which thing I was involved in as a kid is the source of what, or if there was a crossover between them or whatnot. But I trained in gymnastics at a very high level from a pretty young age. And there was a lot of weird shit going on there as well. Sure. But you know, that also like my body can just tolerate more than most people's bodies. And also my mind, like in terms of, you know, the coaches yelled at us. Like I had an Austrian coach who yelled at us in German and like was pretty vicious for a small child. Sure. And, the one who can stand up to that or tolerate that, right, is going to be like probably better for certain things than the one who just yeah. wilts and goes home and calls for their mom. Sure. Yeah. Now, the one who wilts and goes home and calls for their mom is probably an emotionally healthier person <laughs> than I am, <laughs> right? Um, but like, I think I displayed just a, a level of sort of like tolerance and tenacity and endurance mm-hmm. yeah. that probably made me interesting to a lot of people for some reason. Right. I don't know. Um, 
How did you also, get involved in those things? Were you, di- did you express an nudged. interest in them or did your parents put you in these things? Like, did they send you to the summer camp or like, how did you know to go there? How, how did they there. know to go there? Yeah. Right. So um, I'd say the first thing was the Hollywood stuff. So sure. I started in Hollywood when I was two. Mm. Uh, I asked my dad this and I, I, every time I ask my parents this, I get a different answer. So I don't, I don't really know what the answer is, but somebody that my dad knew recommended when I was a baby that they signed me up with this particular agent. Mm. Right. And that, you know, that I don't know why they thought that was important for me to do that. Um, I was a little bit different. I wasn't like a cute little kid the way like, you know, oh, how cute that little kid is. Look at those cheeks or anything like that. Like, I looked pretty, like, serious for, like, (laughs) I didn't really have, like, these, you know, sort of chubby cheeks. And I was pretty, like, I liked things maybe a little more grown up than my age would indicate. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they they started that, and I did the Hollywood stuff, really, from the time I was, like, two until I was, like, seven or eight. And then I was just really more interested in gymnastics. And I still occasionally did stuff, especially if there was a call for something that involved gymnastics, mm. like some kind of stunt doubling, or they needed someone to go on like Good Morning America and do like a gymnastics routine, or they used to do right, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But my parents also put me in gymnastics, and they say they put me in gymnastics because I was like climbing all over the place or whatever, right? Mm. I went to a tumbling class, so they took me to the tumbling class, and I also showed a higher level of energy than most of the other kids. So they were hoping that it would wear me out. So I would sleep at night, but my dad says it was the biggest mistake he ever made. Cause it just improved my endurance. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> right. Um, so I was doing that. And so through most of my childhood, it was like, I went to school in the morning. Sometimes I'd go to an audition in between school and gymnastics. And I'd go to gymnastics from about four o'clock to about nine o'clock at, at night. Mm. Uh, and so I was working full time, you know, as, oh, as a kid, yeah. um, and I really loved gymnastics, um, but I was at not the gym that was closest to my home. There was a very specific gym chosen, a very specific agent chosen. Right. I also went to an interesting private school um, what, that I think both gave me a good education that I have come to realize not all of my colleagues had that same quality of education. Mm-hmm. And even though... I know lots of people who are like very smart and way more successful than me. Like there's a difference in how I cognate and mentate and all of that kind of things that I think comes from the education I had at this school, but also like my parents weren't wealthy, Mm. right? So this was a sacrifice for them to, to pay for me to go there that um, sometimes I wonder like how they knew to send me to that school, why they sent me to the gym they sent me to. Now I found out, not that long ago that um, the reason that I went to the gym that I went to was because um, my mom, the company, my mom to work, my mom worked for was willing to pay for my gymnastics. If I went to this specific gym. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now my mom worked for Atlantic Richfield, which is Arco. It's an oil company. Like, she was a yeah. financial analyst for Arco. And if you look into some of the things that they're also involved in besides AMPM markets and the obvious oil mm-hmm. stuff, right? it's a pretty weird company owned by a pretty weird man right. um, that it wouldn't be entirely out of the realm of possibilities that he could have some crossover into exploring 
other stuff, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. maybe willing to fund some projects. Sure. I'm not saying I know for sure, right? <laughs> but um, so that, um, so I don't really know what, like what thing was the, gen- what, what thing I was doing was the genesis of what weird experience or where it was that it crossed over. And sometimes I also just ask myself, do I have like a really active imagination? Mm-hmm. Um, but if it is a really active imagination, how is it that like, since I've been expressing it, people are coming to me with proof and evidence and all of this stuff of the thing that I said that wasn't, wasn't known or wasn't aware of, you know, and matches some other weird experiences. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if we're in a simulation and I'm just like creating a badass character and enough people have listened to me talk about it that like, that's the film that's showing right now. I don't know. Or if like, we're all collectively delusional and people who are (laughs) listening to me or I don't know. And I, I almost don't care because I'm, I'm very intrigued and amused with this experience at this point for sure uh, much more than I am um, bothered by or scared of it. Like I don't like the idea of things being done to people outside of their consent or their awareness or their willingness or anything like that. I don't like that. Right. But um, this shit ain't boring. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this is interesting. I'm having a very interesting life. Starting with a laugh. That's always a good way to start our after bubble. You know what that reminded me of? Uh, Being able to have a conversation with Terrence McKenna. (laughs) And by that, I mean, uh, I used to listen back in the probably late 80s, all through the 90s, listen to, they used to come out with these big cassette sets, like six to eight to 10 cassettes. Sometimes they would be like of a weekend retreat with Terrence and he can just riff and go off and be so articulate in a way that it's sort of, you sort of get a contact high just by listening, you know, like it's just takes you to a place that you've maybe stuck your toe into, but it takes you to a totally different level uh, or a totally different, different depth, depending on what metaphor you're using. And, uh, She just, yeah, she just did that. Like she just is very good at opening up different layers that I hadn't even thought of before. Uh, What was your experience? I loved it. I think she's really brilliant and has so much information to share and so much to say. And there were so many different alleys and avenues that Mm. we could have gone down no shit that we didn't even begin to traverse uh you know i just i love having those kinds of conversations it kind of reminds me of like when you and i first got together where you just want to stay up all night with someone and you just want to talk and you have so much to say and time does feel like it disappears and you and you just are so engrossed in what's happening that you just feel like you can't get it all in at mm-hmm. once. Yeah. Is that chapter over? No, that's why we do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we just invite other people in. It's kind of like an open conversational relationship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Cool. Yeah, yes, it's good. It was, it was There's fantastic. many, many different layers of this onion and, you know, it's just so brilliant to be able to talk to someone who speaks our language and understands it, it 
really uh, puts into focus how different different minds work. I feel like so much of my the way that I navigate thoughts and ideas and stuff like that is very, it's not like I sit and I, I articulate it in my mind and just explore it in that way. I usually explore it in a much more kind of a non-verbalistic, uh, I won't say emotionally based way, but more visual, like I explore visually in my mind. But it seems like from talking with Emily that she must have inner dialogues and explore this stuff to the nth degree. And maybe it's because she constantly is having some sort of a conversation with tons of different people. So she's, all these things are always on the surface, but I feel like I skip around. My, my, my mind is much more, it's like a, like an Irish setter uh, in a, in a wood full of squirrels. Like I feel like I'm just darting hither and thither, and it feels like she's really taken the time to drill into these concepts. Like I said, that I feel like I've just went, yeah, that, wouldn't that be interesting? And then I go to the next thing and go, oh yeah, wouldn't that be interesting? But it seems like she's really taken the time to just fucking unpack and dig super deep into these things. Well, none of it is like A plus B plus C plus D. It, sure. it, it doesn't, it all is so interrelated and so intrinsically involved that it's easy to have this this um this short attention span because Mm -hmm. you can see something and it leads you down a specific path and you're like wow that's really interesting and then you see something else and it's like oh look something's shiny and you kind of focus on that for a moment uh it i think that there is a a degree of um, inner discipline that you can hone and you can develop as an athlete that if you take that and you focus that on, uh, you know, different areas of study, you can use that same level of discipline with those things. Mm-hmm. And she has that ability and she has used that ability. And I think it served her well because it would be easy to sound like you're, you know, like you've maybe gone off the deep end by by saying all these things, but when you say them in the in the way that she's saying them, uh, it makes sense. It's like Total okay, sense. no, this this makes sense. This this part is connected with this, and it's connected with. So it, it's kind of like doing all of this dot connecting and fleshing out this this portrait of. Uh, consensus reality that some people are capable of understanding and other people are just get overwhelmed with. And I think she is not overwhelmed by (laughs) the things that she's experienced. She's able to, to dissect them and understand how they're all interrelated. Yeah, I would be one of the people that she would trip with that would just be going, like, I'd be too flabbergasted to to be able to speak about it, where she's a very good narrator. I could see her when she was describing that as being a very good, like, she could uh, narrate it in real time and in words that would actually do justice to the experience. Yeah, I think it depends on... You know, all the stuff that we talked about, it, it depends on 
the intent of the person, what you're doing and the, the place that you're starting at when you do that thing. And, you know, so there's so many variables that are involved. It's hard to say what one experience is going to be. And you may, you may find yourself in a circumstance where you are able to hone in and articulate and see clearly. So, you know, just be gentle. <laughs> with be myself, gentle. You mean? Be gentle with my man. <laughs> that's 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 uh, advice taken to heart for sure. Because I can get into a loop of self consciousness, and I I think that I was feeling that in this interview because you guys were doing such a great job at riffing that I just kind of fell into whenever it got my chance, then it's like all these words are built up in the funnel and then they all try to get through at the same time and they're not very polite about it. So they come out haphazardly and it ends up not sounding like anything that I'd been thinking of up to that point, or I get a great idea at one point in the conversation and then like 60 different topics happen on top of that. And it's just like, I lose it. So, but, but you that's why guys I take, were great. That's why I take notes because she said things along the way that I wanted to make sure that I am able to go back and and research and remember because they're all important. I would love to see this uh, Judy Garland TV yeah. movie that she was in exactly. Rainbow. I would love to see her as a child actor, and you know her mom working for Psycon. And doing studies on drugs. I found that fascinating. The Cedars of Lebanon Hospital. I wanted to ask her where that is, if that's uh, on Franklin or if that's on Sunset. You know, I, so there, there was so much that was shared. Um, and just for me, it's, it's take notes and then go and, you know, maybe put a little asterisk by that and say, like, where, where is this or whatever? Cause it is easy to, when there's you're on the bullet train, it's easy to say, Hey, but four stops back. We were talking about something that I wanted to ask you about. Exactly. To go back to her upbringing, it does seem like she was sort of positioned to be able to traverse these subjects and reality, quote unquote, in the way that she does, which is at a very fast speed and able to juggle a lot of things at one time. But one thing I did notice in her backstory is that usually when you talk about these sorts of things and and things that may or may not have happened in people's childhoods, that there is some certain amount of trauma or abuse that happened. And I don't recall her mentioning anything like that, um, which is interesting. And if that's the case, I'm certainly glad that that's the case um, because, you know, you, you get, um, Situations with children, especially if they're in the proximity of some military base or they're a a governmental or military family where they get sent away to camps and they get traumatized or abused. And that's when they learn to dissociate and develop powers and and ways of viewing uh, and navigating reality in, in, in a fashion that most of us don't aren't aware of or don't have access to, but it didn't seem like there was any of that going on. It seemed a lot more playful. Well, I, I don't know that I agree with that. I think she alluded to the, to perhaps some uh, events that, you know, depending on your subjective point of view could have been con- 
considered traumatic. Um, but I think where what I perceived is that her perceptions of these things, um, there's layers there. Mm -hmm. So she may, we didn't maybe go into the psychological damage or pain that were associated with those things. So they could have been, she could have had traumatic experiences, but she has um, reconciled them or had sure. some degree of healing around them where she's able to face that stuff. And it's not so emotionally charged that she's bursting into tears or it's really sure. hard to, to speak about. I, I could see that. I also appreciated her, uh, lack of a dualistic way of seeing a lot of these things, the filters that most of us have that s says that this is bad, this is associated with something negative, so it is negative. Yeah. Uh, she didn't seem to have any of those yeah. uh, predilections, and I think that that's important because even for people in our community, whatever you want to call that, the curious, truthers, whatever the fuck, um, we can lump things into categories just as much as the people on what we perceive, some of us might perceive as the other side or the normies or whatever. We're just as susceptible to um, oversimplifying and categorizing things as they are. Well, it's fear porn. And again, th what, where that is, what that's feeding is potentially negative forces and negative energy and so and it's it's a device that's used to control people so it's easy to get into this victim space and say you know they they and they're going to do this and they're coming after us and mm -hmm. digital IDs and control and you know and get into these very scary um realities in these scary mindsets because there's an agenda there, which is to uh, victimize and, and make people feel like they're victims. And so, you know, anyone who's in the, uh, what I like to call conspiracy curious space, <laughs> anyone that's in that space that's feeding into that is just as uh, vulnerable or just as susceptible as someone who um, is you know, buying the narrative and going out and getting 60 jabs. It's like they're just as, as a victim mentality as someone who buys the, the mainstream agenda. I just love that she's w w is watching the, the Graham Hancock thing because, you know, I have my, as we have talked about, I have my suspicions about anything that's on Netflix and, and the control mechanisms or the reasons why these things are being put out there and the timing of the, these things. So it's funny that the thing that she pointed out about that was about time and Definitely. the time, the time, the necessity to date things and yeah. do it in this very kind of like um, cerebral way is this is this and this happened in this time and I'm going to prove that it didn't happen in this time <laughs> exactly and the, who knows if the, there's absolutely the funny thing that nobody ever considers is that there's absolutely no way to test if this carbon dating is I'm assuming that's what they're still doing how they're measuring all this stuff dating the rocks that are around these fossils or whatever 
is correct. Maybe it doesn't work past yeah. a certain point. Like it, it, and there's so many cards in the house that <laughs> if one of them is removed, the whole thing is fucked. So well, why not? Why concentrate on that? Well, and it, it's she, she hasn't even gotten to the episode that we watched where they'd put that fucking tent over it yeah. <laughs> over this place and i was i was talking about that with you and how obnoxious that was and she's saying you know maybe these things are still being used on another dimensional plane or another level and i was thinking the same thing when i was watching that i'm like why the fuck did they put a tent on this where this thing is still potentially being used for some as a device and we've decided to put something a covering over it it's like who are we it's so egotistical of humans to think that we know what the fuck is going on in these sacred spaces well that's the thing i mean i think that's that's a symptom of a world that is not or of a mindset that's not perceptive of uh, interconnectivity. Yeah. So you think that they think archaeological archaeologists, scientists, whoever did that, constructed the shelter, thinks that it's okay and that's not going to mess with anything because that's not a living thing. That's not a. This is just some antiquated, primitive yeah, structure exactly. that really only served to house suspicions and not suspicions, superstitions, suspicions. Oh, um, that too. Perhaps yes, and so they they have no connection with that. That's the that's the yeah. trouble with most of anthropology and archaeology is that they're studying these distant, supposedly distant cultures and peoples, yeah. and they think that they just didn't know any better, and we know better because we have. Well, they think they're not there anymore, so they think they think oh we we can put a covering over this because it's protecting it and not and they're not looking at it from like a spiritual perspective or a dimensional perspective and saying wow these ancients could still be using this space we don't need to cover it we need to allow the sun to come in at these certain degrees because that's what this thing was used for we just need to not fuck with it mm -hmm. and that's what i said when we started watching it is like what's the point here why are we fucking with this stuff <laughs> like what do we really need to know what's in these chambers like who's who's making these decisions that says we need to drill in there and we need to find what out what's going on well why yeah people that don't have that again don't realize the interconnectivity which i would think that graham hancock would but Perhaps, I mean, he didn't go into that too much. Perhaps it's a non-invasive way that he wanted to do that. I have no idea. But it's also, he got a Netflix special out of it. So it's it's his thing of legitimizing himself and being on TV. And now they're going to give me tons of money and I get to travel the world and talk. You know, it's like, okay, I get that. I get why you're doing it. But, you know, maybe not... From from a higher minded perspective, maybe that's not necessary. Enough of Graham Cancock. C Cancock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully, no. I was thinking you. Oh, for <laughs> just being you, being oh. my life partner and my love, Shucks. and that's easy. my soulmate, and the person that I get to share these amazing conversations with. It's super fun. It is super fun. I'm so glad to have somebody in my life that, uh, I don't know, 
wants to travel to these places too, mentally, physically, spiritually, psychologically, and uh, seems to benefit from them as much as I do. And yeah, and we can share that together. That's something that is so rare and so hard to find, and I feel very lucky. And they're, they're reminders. That I think the reason why I like to have these conversations is they remind me of who I am and what I'm capable of, and that's what our relationship does every moment of every day that we are together is that it's just, it's a mirror. I get to look in the mirror and say, wow, what a magical creature I am with and what a magical being I am and what a magical being you are. So thank you. Yes, we'll get a room now, guys. And uh, (laughs) Luckily, we have a room. We have several rooms. Um. Thank you very much for listening. Hopefully you you got something from this conversation. I don't know how you couldn't. There were so many things going on, um, a few, if not all of them, uh, hopefully compelled you and took your mind and soul into different places, maybe that it hadn't been before or not in that particular context or way. I know that it enlightened and uh, got my mind working and made me, feel even more the childlike wonder and curiosity that I think is important and is lost on so many people. All right. Thank you all for listening. Um, what am I, I'm forgetting our, where we are closing statements. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm disintegrating into <laughs> molecules. <laughs> Uh, the Melt you, Podcast. The Melt Podcast. If you would like to uh, suggest guests, if you have good casserole recipes, if you have praise or criticism or and something that I haven't covered, um, you can contact us at the Melt Podcast at protonmail.com or hunter-muse, M-U-S-E, at protonmail.com. Or go to our website, www.themeltpodcast.net. That's a fact. Uh, enjoy your life, spread your joy to others around you, but cultivate it in yourself first, and then uh, tell us about it. Do it. <laughs> All right. We love you. Love you guys. Take care. There's more fantastic stuff coming. Bye. Goodbye. To hear the full-length version of this episode, get access to exclusive and early episodes, and participate in our monthly Zoom meetups for as little as $3 per month, just click the Patreon link in the episode notes or visit patreon.com slash themeltpodcast. Contributing financially will help to make this podcast my full-time gig that I can devote more time to and allow me to create more content. Other ways of contributing would be giving us a favorable review or rating wherever you get your podcasts, subscribing to us on YouTube, spreading the word wherever you and your tribe congregate, or just by sending us your positive thoughts and intentions. In a quantumly intertwined and holographic multiverse, these also go a long way. Thank you.